Well, good day, fellowship. It's great to have you with us. We're continuing in a series called Living Hope. And uh, just a few hours ago, they wrapped up the rooted training for pastors in India. And uh, Warren Wilson, who's on that front row on the, on the right, uh, just was equipping several pastors. And there's a history with these pastors. We've been pouring into their lives over the past several years. I don't know if you remember when we built this worship center and our expansion, we took 10% of the, the money given for that initial campaign, and we wanted to build churches outside of fellowship, uh, of people who... We could never reach unless other people uh, planted churches. So we've built, over the past several years, we've built 10 churches in India that each hold around 150 people in worship. And you think about that, that's 1,500 people we're able to reach just from being generous to the Lord and not having it just be about us. But Warren took them through the whole rooted experience this past week, and they're praying about whether or not they want to use that. And Pray with us as we consider how we can serve the church in India. Rooted came to us from Africa. Some African pastors helped develop this. And now it's going to India after it came through us. And how many of you have gone through Rooted? Yeah, that's awesome. I'd encourage you, if you haven't gone through that yet, we offer that three times a year. And it's a 10-week experience to grow in your connection to to God, your connection to the church, and then ultimately your connection with your purpose in life. Many people, we've had over 2,000 people go through it, and it's just been transformational in our lives. It's our pathway to discipleship of what a follower looks like here. As we continue in this series, though, today uh, Peter is writing to fellow brothers and sisters in Asia Minor in 1 Peter chapter 1. And he's reminding them that they have a living hope, a hope that is not dead. It's not in a dead man, it's in a alive Jesus. And because Jesus is alive, he rose from the grave, we have a living hope. And so even though their lives were just, the world around them was just crumbling, they were suffering for their faith. The gospel was rejected and many of them were being persecuted for their belief in Christ. And, and they were called to live with this hope and to live out hope in the midst of persecution. You know, we don't, we may not have that direct persecution here in our culture today, but many of you are having lives that are just turning you upside down right now. Some of you are dealing with news just more recently that have just, you've lost your orientation and you're wondering, God, what are you doing? Do you care? What's going on? What is the purpose in all of this? And in a, in a physical term, it may seem like your life is, is just hit with an avalanche. And avalanches are, are happening right now, today. I mean, just this week, just this week in Aspen, a skier lost their life in an, in an avalanche. And I started just re- reading up on this because I wanted to develop this illustration a little bit more. And I just got a little bit of advice. And it's important because we live in Kansas, people. We'll get one to three inches of snow. You never know. When an avalanche is going to hit, right? I'll just give you some preparedness here, just because I want to share this information with you. If there's an avalanche happening uphill, you're, you are told to run to the side as best as you can, to, to the side, because most of the force, most of the push of all that snow comes right down the center. So run to the sides. You got that one? And then if the snow actually catches up to you or you're in the snow, one thing you're supposed to do is to start swimming in it, because at least you'll work your way up closer to the top 
rather than keeping on running or trying to, trying to just let it take you to supposed to swim and kind of wiggle your way up. And then if it covers your, your body, the first thing you're supposed to do is go move your hands to your face and build, build a place where you can breathe. Okay? And then, if you don't know which way is up, and it will disorient you, you're supposed to spit. Because gravity still applies, folks. You'll know which way is down. So you can dig up. And I only know this because they actually found people who've tunneled after an avalanche. They tunneled 20 feet down, and they were headed in the wrong direction. So think about this. Spit. It helps. Just not in church, right? I'm salivating as I talk about spitting, though, so I'm having to swallow. Sorry, front row, this morning. You're, you're covered. But, but Peter is saying, look, this, is, this may seem purposeless. This may seem pointless. But you're right in the center of where God has you right now. And the gospel, if you read the New Testament, it really just confronts our culture of comfort, of predictability, of there's no point in pain, there's no purpose in suffering. And the gospel says, just, just look. Just look at the history of the gospel and how the gospel advanced to the ends of the earth through suffering, through tribulation, through persecution. And we'll find that if you're going through an avalanche right now, you're at home in the gospel. Peter's going to encourage us. He's going to encourage us on how to handle it when the avalanche hits. And some of you are in the midst of an avalanche. Some of you, I just know this, it just happens with this many people here on a weekend. There's some in this room who are going to get news you don't expect this week. There's going to be a diagnosis. There's going to be a, a missed expectation. There might be an end to a relationship. And you are going to feel like you're in an avalanche. So I want to just equip you as the Word of God equips you. Let's take a look in the Word of God in First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. Peter says this then, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You know, when the avalanche hits and you're disoriented and you have more questions than you have answers, you need to know a few things which Peter reminds us of. He reminds us of who we are. He reminds us of who's with you. And he reminds us what are we here to do. And just as last week was living hope, this week is a focused hope. He's calling us to lean in, not walk away when we go through a time of suffering. And so what is he calling us to do? He's calling us to remember who we are. And the first thing that he talks about here is all summarized in, in, in this key verse. It's our memory verse for this week if you're going through the Living Hope book uh, with us. It, he says to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you 
at the resurrect or at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on grace. It tells us who we are. It tells us who we are. And it says, remember, you were ransomed. Your identity when you're going through an avalanche, when things have turned you upside down, is that you're first of all free. He said, look, you're ransomed, which is past tense. That's the work of Christ on the cross. You're ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that with a, a lamb without blemish or spot. So if you have trusted in Christ, the weight and power of your sin and hopelessness is taken back to the cross, where fully and finally Jesus paid the price. Jesus made the payment. Jesus restored us back to God. And when he died on the cross, his death was sufficient. It was enough. It was enough to pay for our sins and the sins of anyone who believes in him. And the result then is that we're free. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're we're no longer having to provide the solution of being restored back to God. We're no longer under a payment. We're free from hopelessness. And you can set your hope fully on grace because God's grace can handle it. He can handle whatever your life has dished out to him or against him or to others. And you need to know that you've been brought, bought with a price. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to fear. You're no longer a slave to hopelessness. You're no longer a slave to Tom Brady and the Patriots going to the Super Bowl. (laughs) You're just not. Even though it was a silly offsides call that, that moved them there. Okay, I'm still healing. I'm still healing. Okay, all right, I, don't, I need to move on. This freedom, though, is not a freedom that you might think it is. It's not a freedom to be whoever you want to be. It's not. It's, it's a freedom to be who God created you to be. And there is a misnomer. There is fake news on what the gospel is. That when the gospel is good news and it comes into your life and it gives you the hope and you're free, you're free to do whatever you want to do. And you don't have to listen to anyone else. And you're no longer under any authority. And you don't submit to anyone. You just live life the way you want to. And just read the scriptures. We're not called to be the worst of ourselves. We're not called into selfishness. We're not called into a life on our own terms. We're called as sons and daughters of the living God through the resurrected Christ And we're called to be who he created us to be. And so we lean in in times of suffering and we go, God, what do you want to do in my life? What do you, how do you want to change me? How do you want to transform me through this? We may not know the full purpose, but we know that God is absolutely committed to growing us as free children under his grace. Second thing we need to know is who's with us. Who's with us? And Peter's going to say, look, you have been put together. You've been put together in the church. You are the church of the living God with a living hope. So set that living hope on the grace, the grace of God through Jesus Christ. 
And each one of these verbs that he uses, if you go down and just in your Bible were to look up the background of those verbs, they're second person plural. So it's not you, Joe Hishma, it's you, everyone who believes in Christ. And so everything that God has given us, he's called us to use this and to be together as we navigate pain and loss. We are a gift and a resource and a support to each other during times of crisis and conflict. And remember, you've been purchased out of sin. We're free, but we're also been placed into a family, the family of God. And we're protected with the people of God. We're related by the blood of Christ. And we all share the eternal promise that we have in Jesus Christ. You're not alone. You're with us. Is it any wonder that we wander when we stay away from us? Don't do it now, but sometime this week. Just Google BBC Lion and Hyenas. And you'll get this picture of 20 hyenas that circle this lion and start attacking it. And I don't know. I just hate hyenas. I just, they're just the ugliest beast I've ever seen. And I definitely, they were created after the fall. Because it wasn't the intention of God. I just know it. I just know it. But here these things are just yiping. And they're biting at this lion. And they're just coming in closer. And my heart, I mean, I didn't check my man card. But my heart was going out to the lion. I was just like, come on, man. Come on, someone show up. Sure enough, one other lion. That's it. Just one other lion shows up and 20 hyenas scatter. The lion lives. Yes. Keep watching. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, that drew me into that story. And I just started thinking a little bit about it. Everything changed when just one lion showed up. Because we weren't meant to be alone. Think about all the things nipping at you, all the things that you've isolated yourself, you've gone passive with in the church, with the body of Christ. You've iso- and here's how I hear it. Joe, I don't want to be in a small group. I'm a very private person. <laughs> Joe, I'm too busy for that. Joe, I had a negative experience in a small group. I just don't believe in the concept. I, I like doing things whatever I want to do. It's just God and me. Those are all unsustainable excuses for being a part of a church. You can make them, and you can even believe them, but you can be sincerely wrong. I just don't see it. I don't see it as I look at the scriptures in all of this during times of crisis, during times of doubt, during times of trial or suffering for you to be alone. I see you most vulnerable when you're alone. And so God has given us each other. It's going to be an inconvenience for you to join a small group. It's going to be uncomfortable for you to start out and rooted, especially if you've never done that. It's going to be that. It is. And there's even times, and I've been in a small group ever since we launched them here, there's going to be Sunday nights, which is when my small group meets, that I don't want to be with my small group. I've preached five times. I'm tired people. I want time with myself. And I want to lock myself in my own room and just chill. I want to watch something on Hulu for hours upon hours. And I don't want people. But then the doorbell rings and I go, okay. And I welcome them. And there they are, Chris and Greg Burden. And they walk in. Something about them, they smile. And I just feel like gotta smile, you know? 
And then, I know it sounds a little creepy, people, so hang with me. There's just something about it. By the time everyone leaves, I'm going, I needed that. I needed that. I didn't want, want it when it started. I needed that. And there's time when someone goes vulnerable and they haven't gone that far. They haven't shared that much that I just start going, God, you're working in a heart here. Because God's never placed you to be alone. He's called us to be together. I just want to say one more thing before I move on. I don't want to get into a huge, big rant here. But something happens when you just show up. When you just show up. Think about all those places where if I just show up, God tends to use me for his glory rather than my purposes. One case in point is last night in between the services, a couple was just hanging around. And I, w- I decided instead of going to my office and rest my voice, I decided to go out into the atrium and just to talk and take up a conversation with different people. And I was talking with different people and moved along. And all of a sudden this couple came and said, you know, we don't want to be, I know where you're very busy. They always say, everyone says that. I know you're very busy. I'm not too busy for people. I'm not. And they introduced themselves to me and they shared an issue with me they had not shared with anyone apart from each other. And I said, man, I'm so honored you'd think I, that you'd share this with me. And, and they go, are we, are we odd to think this? What do we do? We don't know what to do. And I said, there's so much help we can be for you here. And I pointed them to different people. We got them in different ministries. They no longer feel alone. And you know what? That would have never happened if I would have stowed away in my office in between services. And you go, okay, Joe, that's what we pay you for. You pay you the big bucks to do that. Yeah, you could, you could. But I'm just going to even go larger. What happens when you show up? Because that's where it really matters. I mean, I'm hired to do this, people. When you show up, and you don't have to, but you do, it goes a lot further. I would just say, look around you. Just look around you right now. Look at, there's people you know and there's people you don't know. I know you were really uncomfortable when you said, hey, greet someone. And you go, hi, I mean, cold and flu season. Let's just do that, you know? (laughs) You don't. Look around you. God has placed people around you today to love, to support, to care for. I mean, what happens? I... There are so many other things for you to do on a Sunday morning. You're here. You're here. What if you just showed up with a little bit of intention? I'm the church. I'm the church. This church isn't a building. Come on. Really. This church is not me. It can't be just one. The church is us. It's us. And when you show up, if you just had an available heart of, Lord, help me support, encourage, love, pray for, be there for someone, you'll have no idea. And I would just say this, just continue that throughout the week. You have no idea what a text does to someone who's hurting. You have no idea what a dinner does without being invited over. I mean, just bring the dinner. If you know you're going through a tough time, take it. You have no idea what those simple acts of care and concern, because there's people in this room right now who feel very lonely and isolated and are nervous about being here, which you can just chill and come alongside them and encourage them. Every, every service, after the service, we have our prayer partners on, on both sides of the stage. And they're people who are just going to pray over you as you leave. And if you want to pray with them, if you want to do something with us and pray with us, they're ready to pray for you. They're just available. 
all happens when we just show up. God has given us the church. You're not alone. And then what are you here to do? What are you here to do? We're here to reflect grace. To reflect grace. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have, you have set your, your hope fully on grace. And that means that we reflect God's grace in all things. It's not just God's grace that saves us. It's God's grace that keeps us in the arms of God. And it's God's grace that we're set free from sin. And God's grace that we endure through trials. When the avalanche hits, church, remember who you are, who's with you, and what you're here to do. You are free from sin. You're bound to Christ and his church. And you're called to reflect his grace in all things. And so when we do this, when we set our hope on God's grace, in times of suffering, God is going to do some things in our lives. He's going to work in ways that we never thought would happen if, if we just kind of went through suffering or we go through an avalanche in life. Here's three things that God is absolutely faithful in doing in our lives when we hope and set our hope on grace during a time of suffering. The first one is this, is, is he transforms our character. He transforms our character. Look at how Peter draws, draws this out. And it's a word that we're uncomfortable with, but hang with me. He says this, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There it is. Four times the word is holy, and I'm uncomfortable with it. Why? <laughs> Because the last time I looked in the mirror, I didn't see holy. I just didn't. The last time I just did an appraisal of my thoughts, of my attitudes, of my words, or my actions, I just didn't see holy. And so when the command from Scripture says, Joe Hishma, be holy, or church, be holy, for he is holy, I get intimidated. I go, that's just not going to happen. What do I do when I feel like there's no way I can be holy? I fall on grace. That's why I have to set my hope on grace. Because I'm not in because I'm holy. I'm in because Jesus was without sin. He was holy. He was the precious lamb of God without blemish, without spot, without sin who died in my place. I should have been there. He did. He did. And he totally paid it. And so when I think about a righteousness in myself, there's no way I can be good enough. And by the way, this also eradicates my temptation to compare my life with yours. Because I'll choose those things that I'm better at you, and I will say, I'm doing well. And I will ignore those things I'm struggling with. And you'll use those so you can be better than me. (laughs) That's just how we work. We compare and contrast, and we all fall short. None of us are holy, and so we all need grace. But what does God do? And what's his standard for us? His standard is holiness. And the only way we get that is through Christ. Christ is the righteousness of God. That has been revealed to us. It's apart from the law and obedience to the law and obedience to being right or good. It's all in the perfection and the righteousness of God through Christ. That we can have that relationship. And so this, that that, that means then, think about this. This means that the Bible, the word of God is going to call us to the standard 
of morality, in conduct, in behavior, in attitude that looks more like Christ than it will look about you. To be holy means to be set away from sin, to be set apart for the work of God. This is not a comfortable command, but God gives us a call that rises up our very souls. He doesn't say, hey, be sort of good. He doesn't say, keep trying, someday you'll get it. He doesn't say, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, or know when to run. He doesn't even quote Michael Bolton songs. He says, be holy. It's an uncompromised standard so that we're never comparing our behavior with each other, but we fall on grace and we point to Christ. Our standard is not each other. Your standard shouldn't be me, neither should mine be yours. Our standard is Christ, and we're called to reflect who he is in all things and at all times. On the best of days, when a unicorn crosses us at 21st and and Wanamaker, or on our worst day, when we can't drive, we have to pull over to deal with the news. In all things, there's grace. Secondly, secondly, what setting our hope on grace in the midst of suffering is going to move us to be more consistent in our relationship with Christ. It enhances relational consistency. And God, as I mentioned earlier, is absolutely committed to our growth. If you're his child, he has a vision for your growth. And parents here, you know what that's like. That kid's born and you're putting on three-year-old clothing on a six-month-old child. There's going to be issues you're going to have to deal with, right? But you know where all the percentages are. God is radically committed to your growth. And he doesn't say, grow up to you. He comes alongside of you and gives you every resource to grow. Our Heavenly Father is absolutely committed to you. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 14, no longer to be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, or by craftiness in deceitful schemes. But rather, Peter says, preparing your minds for action. Literally, the Greek is, gird up your mind, protect your mind. And this has two connotations with it. First is, he calls us to be spiritually alert, not spiritually lazy. Here's how I get spiritually lazy. When someone brings in a topic, or when life gets hard, and it's difficult, and it doesn't come intuitively for me to follow Jesus... I tend to pull back. I try to get my mind around it. That's not being alert. That's being lazy. I don't want to lean in. When someone might call out something in my life that I don't like being humiliated and called out to do, I'm lazy. I just don't want to move on that. So I just go, well, maybe I'll have to listen to the Lord a little bit more. I might need to pray about that. That's how I defer Prepare your mind for action. Lean in, be spiritually alert. And then secondly, I'm responsive to act. In other words, this passive passivity in the spiritual life is something that's going to invade your life and and let things attack you rather than you being responsive. And here it means that we think and we process and we hold attitudes and beliefs so that we're that we're concentrated to react 
and to, and to obey no matter what the circumstances in our lives. John says this about the world. He says in 1 John 2, he says that the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life are not from the Father, they're from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So get ready, church. Get ready to think on God's word and obey him at once rather than later or in a passive manner and begin to expect eagerly with a hope that God is working in you through his grace in times of trouble. The second thing that this passage uh, deals with is look at verse 17. This is again another hang up for us if we're just thinking about a comfortable Christian life. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I don't like that word, fear. And so I researched it. What does this mean? And some commentators said, well, what it doesn't really mean being afraid of God. It means, it means that you respect him and that you look to him first and he's your number one priority. And then I studied it some more and here's what it means. Be afraid of God. Be afraid of God. I don't like that one. Because Jesus is my best friend. He's out to make me happy. I need rainbows and there it is again, unicorns. And I need all those things he's made here to make my wildest dreams come true. Because he and the American dream make things great again. That's folks. Folks, these were people who were giving up their lives for the gospel. They're giving up their homes, their possessions, their relationships. They were fired for their faith. Rejected in the world. And what Peter's saying is, yeah, be more afraid of God than you are of anything else. What that means to me is that I'm, I really fear what my life would be like without Jesus in it. I really do. Because Everything I am, he's created in me. This is none of Joe's forming. Secondly, it means because I have an impartial heavenly father, the rules apply to me. It humbles my heart. God's like, okay, Hishma, you made lead pastor. Nice church in Topeka. You're out, man. I just give you some grace. Just go, go at it. Do life the way you want to. Preach well, represent me well, but live a certain way. However you, no way, no way. Same rules apply to me. Same grace is what I have to fall on every day. The same selfishness that goes through my mind and yours, the same temptations. I have to fall on God's grace. I don't get a pass from this. I'm committed. I have to be committed to the Lord just as you do each and every day. But I also fear of what could happen if I walk away. Have you ever been in an environment where you go, whew, I would never want to be there. And it humbles you. It doesn't make you feel superior to anyone. Like, I'll give you a small illustration. When I was on a cruise ship and I was leaning over the side and I looked down and went, whew, glad I'm not in the ocean today. You know, glad I'm on here. What is it? I just kind of have to step back there. Because I remember reading a story before I went on the cruise, which made me a little more anxious. Um, a dude fell off of a cruise ship at midnight. Cruise ships don't stop. They can't just go, okay, let's throw something over. Let's help him out. They just keep going. And they alert the Coast Guard. Guess what time he was picked up? 
eight in the morning. I would have lost my mind. <laughs> Jaws, Megalodon coming to visit me and eat me for I would have freaked on that. And, and it's kind of one of those things of, God, I'm so thankful I'm yours today. Thank you for your grace. I'm not in because I'm a superior person than anyone else in this world. I'm not, none of us are here because we're better than anyone else in the world. We're here because of grace. God has brought us here. We want to be people who are hum- humble and reliant on him. But here's the other thing I've learned about my greatest fear. My greatest fear is that my greatest fear will determine my highest hope. So if my greatest fear in life is missing out, my highest hope will be inclusion. If my greatest fear is fear of rejection, my highest hope is going to be in you accepting me. If my greatest fear is loss, my highest hope will be the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. My highest hope (laughs) will be security, right? If my greatest fear is failure, then my greatest hope, my highest hope will be significance. If my greatest fear is financial loss and poverty, my highest hope is going to be riches and wealth. If my greatest fear is death, my highest hope will be health and safety. If my greatest fear is eternity without God, my highest hope is going to be grace. Because by grace are we saved. It's not of ourselves. It's not by works or else we could boast. It's a gift from God. It's grace. That's why we're to fear God above all. And as we do this, as we do this, God is going to even develop a whole picture of our worth in his eyes. Because setting your hope on God's grace in the midst of suffering is going to show you who you are with God. And remember what Peter says. He says, you were ransomed. You were ransomed. Not with perishable things. Like silver or gold. Those were what typically slaves were set free with silver or gold. But you've been set free with the precious blood of Jesus. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God shows his love in this that in that while we were still sinners Christ Jesus died for us. You are worth You know what? I just think as a church, we need to keep on remembering the value of every human being in the eyes of God. We are priceless. We are eternal. We are crafted in the image of God of infinite worth, which means people are significant. People matter. And your life, as you've trusted it into the hands of Jesus to live for you and to die for you and to rise from the dead for you, your worth is shown every day to you that you're no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of God. Look at what it it says here again. You've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. God knew we couldn't be good enough. God knew that even if you tried, you'd fall short of his glory of perfection. So he sent his only son to live for you, a life you couldn't live, so that in Jesus, your life is made right with God. He died on a cross for yours and my sin because in Jesus, 
The wrath of God is fully and finally paid for by his death. And Jesus rose from the dead so that in his living resurrection power, we can not only have eternal life, death will itself be defeated, but the power of sin will be crushed in our lives through Christ and his grace. I love the song by Kristen and Keith Getty called, My Worth is Not in What I Own. Boy, we Americans need to know that one because we can get so hung up on how much we're paid, the house we live in, the car we drive, what we've got in the bank, the opportunities we have, our vacations, whatever it is. But, but with Christ, your worth is not in what you own. Their lines, the lyrics say this, to wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. That's grace right there. My value fixed, my ransom paid. Where? At the cross. At the cross. See, the ground is level at the cross. Every one of us can be restored back to God through the cross. So whether you have trusted Christ recently or whether you have known him for years, set your hope fully on God's grace. And if you're here and you have not yet set your hope on grace, I would just encourage you right now in the quietness of this room before the week starts to engage, humble your heart before the Lord. Just confess, a simple confession. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I am not the solution to my sin. Jesus is, and he was, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again for me. I believe that, and I turn from my sin to trust him. Restore my heart. Build my hope on grace, no longer on works. And if you just said that, welcome to the family. You're now part of what God is doing in us, the church. Live with this hope. It's a living, focused hope. Would you stand with me? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person you've entrusted to us this morning. And you've brought us to this place so that we would see Jesus as our living hope and we would set our hope on the grace that you have given us. So Lord, I just pray that for each of us. May we know who we are. We're free. May we know who is with us, the church and you. And will you again remind us of why we're here to reflect grace in all things. Lord, as you move us out of this place and into a world with so many uncertainties, Lord, some in this room are dealing with avalanches or will have one hit this week. Lord, may we be equipped and may you remind us who we are and who's with us and what we're here to do. And may you draw people to us who are going through an avalanche without their hope in you. And may we come alongside them and lovingly share them with respect, with gentleness, the truth of who you are and the hope that you are in our lives. Use us as you set us free in this world. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.